So gents, we're back for part two. Part one last week, we tore apart the lettings industry. We're gonna go across the line a little bit for the industry, and we're gonna get stuck into exactly what goes on in the lettings industry. Talk about estate agency. It's a topic which is controversial, but we've got enough experience that we feel it's the right thing for property investors and landlords to know a little bit more about. We're not gonna get any friends within the industry for this chat, but we're doing this for the public, we're doing this for the listeners. We've had some communication already, and I think we're actually meeting a couple of landlords to uh, discuss about how they would potentially get out of their management contracts or not contracts as the case may be, Mike, depending on uh, how you phrased it last week. So looking forward to this one, should we get straight in? So the first thing that I think we need to touch base on for this particular section is property management. Because from a landlord's perspective, they see a lettings agent, they think property management, they're going to look after my property. They don't necessarily understand that it's a department as such. They might think I've got a particular account manager. And I don't actually think a landlord from an outside perspective truly understands the mechanism of how property management works for a state agency and how different as it is agent to agent. So if we kind of just break down, let's put estate agents or letting agents into three boxes, big corporates, some could be independents, but they're big kind of multi-branch companies, you know, 20 officers, something along those lines, up to 100 officers. You would say that they're going to have a very different property management department to the more localized independents that are maybe four, five, six branches, pushing up to maybe nine, 10, 11, 12, that kind of um, nature of independent estate agents. And their PM department is also going to be very different to the corporate one. And then you've got your kind of one, two, three man band, um, maybe very local in the community, um, potentially a really good letting agent or sales agent, but the PM department for them is also going to be very different. So let's just kind of break that down so that people listening that are about to get into property investing or looking to become side hustle landlord, full-time landlord, just so that they know when they're picking an estate agent, a letting agent, exactly what works for them. Because I would imagine each landlord, there's no right or wrong on this. It's just some landlords want X, Y, or Z. So Mike, touching base on, you, you've you've effectively worked across all three of them. I was going to say done all three, yeah. yeah. So they've all got their pros and cons of... What, uh, what's your personal go-to? If you were taking your, I own a lettings agency hat off for a second, which one would you prefer to go? For? Would you go big, medium, small? What what would suit your kind of needs? Well, as I said, there's there's pros and cons to all three. And just to give people an insight into how a property management department works, if you put if you place your property with a corporate lettings agent, so one of the big boys, what you're going to see is the property management is dealt with from head office, which could be anywhere in the UK, and those people are split into teams. So it's highly, highly managed and regulated so your compliance will be in general absolutely a1 but the communication and the people the care and attention the personal service will be well what's the opposite of a1 z46 it'll be it'll be just you're just another number in a massive massive sheet of people um and they look to drive profit out of those individual landlords um your mid-size are potentially agents who have ambitions to be a big agent. So quite often they'll be structured in that way, but they'll be a little bit more local. They'll have a little bit less coverage. Um, and obviously if they have staff changeover, 
then there's a little bit less less depth for those people but you're also going to get to know those people a little bit better because they might actually be in the office where you let your property so they might actually be local and actually know the road and the house that you're talking about and then you've got your local independent your your one office company where nine times out of ten the service that you receive will be much better because you'll get to know Lynn or Sue or Dave or Harry personally. They'll know who you are. They'll live down the road from where your property is. But if that person leaves or if that person isn't very good, Mm -hmm. it's all or nothing because that is your one property manager. Um, And speaking as as someone who used to run a letting agent like that, when I first walked into that, the property manager was terrible and didn't really care. And then I appointed an ex-military army chef of 20 years to manage the properties. And she was methodic and fantastic. Um, But she was also about five years from retirement age. So when retirement hits, then they'll have to go through that situation again of trying to make sure they appoint the right person in order to maintain that quality that they see now. So there's three different levels. And I would opt for local. I would opt for someone who knows me because I feel I'm going to get a more honest service in personal level. I would take the risk that there might be a changeover and things fall down over opting for being one of 40,000 every time. So on on those points, we're talking about people. Mm -hmm. And Tristan, you've done a lot of valuations over the years. Could you count on one hand or do you frequently get asked or have you ever been asked on a valuation, be it working what you do now or when you were working for independence corporates, who will be my property manager and what is their background when the property is let and it goes to managed? Uh, I get that question all the time. And the biggest issue that I face is with the portfolio landlords that they don't know who their property manager is half the time. It chops and changes. And that's the most frustrating part of the industry where people have that breakdown of communication. And it's something that I always reiterate to them that the benefit of obviously how we operate is it's that one-to-one personal service. Whereas if you're in a big corporate, for example, we all know you're going to get a call between two and four o'clock in the afternoon and rather than a WhatsApp message in the evening or a call as and when you need it. Um, but yeah, the question is asked all the time. Yeah, I remember kind of sitting in head offices and experiencing just how PM worked. And from an outside point of view, you know, if there's 10 property managers there, probably eight or nine of them would have their phones on do not disturb for the whole day. And they're kind of working from voice messages as they get time to go through their answer phones rather than working from on the job calls. Because what would you say the average amount of properties a particular property manager should deal with or does deal with across the group? And does that change one, two or three on the agencies, would you say, Mike? Is there... Yeah, I think it does. I know that most corporate agents target somewhere between 200 and 220 properties wow. per person, which is a phenomenal amount of properties to to look after now that will be broken down because they won't be visiting those properties um because they live and work nowhere near them uh, so a lot of that time will be will be taken back because they are as you say just sitting in the office working from voicemails i would guess that would drop by 25 percent to your independence to more like 170 and then 
for your one-man bands, more like 120 is manageable if you're good at the job and you're doing everything. Um, but it's still a lot of property to be managing at any one time. As you can imagine, you can have weeks where very little goes wrong, but you can also have weeks where the pipes freeze and the river, local river floods and absolutely all hell breaks loose. Always creates up at the times you don't want it. Well, it's it's really important because I think from a landlord or a property investor's point of view, what I'm getting from this conversation, if I took my agency hat off, is when I'm dealing with a letting agent at the point of working out who I'm going to instruct to let and manage my property, it's an interview process for really the property manager more than the lettings agent. 100%. So that's the, that's the information I want to know. And the questions that really I want to ask is who who is going to be that property manager? And is it going to be just one person or is it going to be a group? Is it going to be a team one, team B or whatever the case may be? Um, what's their background? How many properties are they managing, you know, as it stands at the moment? And what happens if they're sick leave or on holiday in reality what happens at that point and they're probably the three first questions that i would now want to ask off the back of this conversation because that's going to be how my convenience factor is which is what i'm paying for i'm paying for time to be returned to me individually in reality because most landlords are able to manage their own property but they choose not to because the risk factor of compliance the time convenience and also the contacts of ringing round and finding the right person to do the right job, you would like to think that the lettings agent would know who it is, which brings me kind of nicely onto upselling. We spoke about fees in part one. Now, if we touch base on upselling and in particular upselling through PM, I've seen the PL sheets for these types of departments and where you look at something like Barclays, where they changed their whole culture as a bank into we're now going to pay people commission on service ratings. And it changed the way Barclays were as a company. They went from really quite a naff bank. And I actually left them. I've been with them since I was 16. I left them because the service was so poor. And now actually, they're a much stronger bank because of their service standards. And You'd like to think that that's because they were paying the culture, the commission based on reviews. Whereas on the PL sheet for a lot of sort of property management departments, as I understand it, it's very much based on how much profit they can make out of an individual property and, and what they can upsell. And, you know, we can't go into specifics with different agencies that we worked for because it's not fair for us to get that legal battle on our shoulders. But we can talk generally speaking that one of the big jobs for a property management department, especially I would say from independent to corporate level, not so much the kind of smaller one man bands as such, but anything from five, six branches upwards, it's very driven by how much money they can make out of each landlord's property in reality. Is that is that probably fair, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. Any yeah. any company that has KPIs, so again that, that refers to your corporate type agents, will look to drive a certain amount of pounds per month through each each managed unit on average um, so I guess we go back to the terms and conditions it should be written into the terms and conditions any uplift that a managing agent is charging on a maintenance of a rental property um, quite often that's somewhere between 10 and 20 percent whether it's fair or not is, is a whole different conversation but you should find that within your terms and conditions what are the most common kind of upsells that you've experienced over the years, Tristan, that, that lettings agents look to try and make some markups on? 
Yeah, I think the the main one's the one that Mike's pointed out for maintenance, anywhere between 10 and 20%. Um, the other one is rent protection, legal protection. Um, you was always pushed to obviously upsell these at the start of tenancy and then coming into renewals. COVID had a massive impact on that because how I always see things previously was you're providing a good quality tenant to that landlord, you're given the advice to let that property and to provide that good tenant. Why should they then upsell an insurance product in case they default? But with times changing, COVID hitting, it makes people realise that you can't plan for everything. You can a snap the references are a snapshot of today, mm-hmm. not of tomorrow. So I mean, it is an upsell, but it's there to benefit you, I suppose, to a certain aspect. But whereas before it wasn't on that base, it was numbers, let's get this through, let's get as many sold as possible, because no one really claims in it very often, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think COVID was a prime example of that. But that they're the two key ones, I would say. And you've got other ones in addition to that, where they, on top of that, they'll sell like the um, the broadband, the, uh, the utilities to, to tenants as such. And then from a landlord point of view, you've you've got in terms of business really you've got the additional charges in there so it's interesting because I, I i always find that a lot of lettings agents especially large independence corporates really push the property management service the kind of fully managed service rather than the rent and collect whereas that's the the salesperson sat in the living room from a a business owner's perspective i guess you look at it two ways if if from an agency point of view if i wanted to run a company that was very efficient, dynamic, cost efficient, the rent and collect option is the most convenient for a lettings agency in reality, because they can keep a landlord super compliant. They can do right by where the deposit's going. They can make sure the financial statements are supplied at the end of the year because they've seen what's gone in, what's gone out. Um, They can do the right thing from an invoicing point of view if there is a little something that needs to happen and that's pushed back to the lettings agent. But from a PM point of view, from a property management point of view, if it's fully property managed, it looks better on the headline. But in reality, the landlord is probably going to be the one that could suffer if a lettings agent is really doing a lot of upselling and really trying to milk each transaction that goes through. We say maintenance, it's quite broad. You know, if if a, if a lettings agent has got their own maintenance company, for example, and then they're putting 10, 15, 20% on a paint job, it might not be a recommendation that's coming through. It might be, I'll recommend this painter to you because I know there's a kickback on it. So it's just something that I think property investors and landlords should watch out for and ask the questions. Definitely. Last thing you want is, I mean, I've, I've been stung myself. And after that, I never recommended the company, although we was pushed to. Um, it was a, a very minor job that ended up being just shy of £500. Uh, and that was obviously they'd included a markup on it. So moving forward, I never recommended them. Every time someone asked me, I, I'd point them in the direction of someone else. Yeah. Um, and, and if I'm a staff member doing that, that's not very good, yeah. in, in my opinion. And I think if the lettings agent has got the rent and collect service, you know, they're doing the job that they're paid to do in that particular setup, but the landlord has asked to come in and help, then to get an incentive from various people, to get reward from various people, to do extra work on top of what you're actually being charged for. I totally understand that part of it where the agent's saying, well, yeah, I can I can do that bit of ringing around, but it's going to take me half hour, 45 minutes, something along those lines. And then if they do get a little kickback off of it from the trade person, well, the landlord's happy, the agent's happy, the trade person's happy, everyone's happy. But maybe then if they're also getting a massive kickback and they're paid to property manage it, maybe that's where 
it's a little bit muddy that water and it might be where the reputation you know sort of comes down but it's, it's just things to be aware of i think yeah let's give a working example of that it's probably the worst experience i've had as a letting agent is an old friend of mine has a property managed with an agency um that neither of us are connected to um eicr checks came into into force so the letting agent sent an electrician i'll say in inverted commas if you're watching on youtube you'll see me doing the inverted commas face um it was someone who's qualified or their company is qualified to do tests but not actually qualified electricians now they chart they quoted in the region of 1200 pounds plus vat so about 1500 pounds for this work um my friend sent me the, the quote because he said, well, is, is this reasonable? Is this what they're doing? I sent it on to a different electrician who said, that is a 500 pound fuse board plus fitting that they're charging you 1500 pounds for. So it's absolutely ridiculous. My friend being quite smart as he is, just found out who had quoted and called them direct and said, how much have you quoted this letting agent to do the work? The answer was 750 pounds. Wow. Now a 500 pound fuse board, Okay, £250 labour, he might be there all day. Fine, fair enough. Get that, that's fine. So where's the other £750 come from? That's the question. That is an, a letting agent just looking at costs and just marking it up to say, I can pull this guy's pants down because they're a landlord, they're absent from the property, they're a long, long way away. We know electricians are hard to come by, so every single EICR test we do, anything fails, we're going to double the costs. And as we know, we've things like car insurance you've got 50 percent of people that will wait for their 12 months to come up and then they're going to shop around and they're going to scrimp and scrape and they're going to look at 12p differences and whatever they're going to not let that slide which hopefully happens and they pick up on it and they don't pay more than they should be paying but then there's the other 50 percent that are just like yeah it is what it is and kind of they're busy they're hectic and they might just let that be something that happens for the convenience factor and that's a shame really because you know, that letting agent does not deserve, I'd feel more comfortable if the, if the tradesman was tradesman or woman was getting obviously more of that, that chunk, but to, to just get 50% on top, you know, knowing that probably 50% of people will say yes to it just seems. seems it's just not, not knowing that that quote isn't going to be understood by the landlord. Because yeah. if I take my car to the garage and the guy tells me I need a new flux capacitor and it's going to cost me two grand. Yeah maybe it does maybe it doesn't but i can't drive the car out of the garage until it has one yeah um so i've got no choice i'm a captive audience and and he was there he had 28 days to comply to get his certificate otherwise his property was was in breach so what was he supposed to do yeah and there we go so yeah just look out for that if you're listening and or watching just look out for those different microcharges. and if something feels like it's too much or it's not quite right chances are it, it may well be that Moving on to people listening now that are thinking, okay, I'm going to be a landlord. And we get this quite a lot with new landlords. I'm going to be a landlord. I'm going to do it as a side hustle and then maybe try and build it into a full-time job. What often they say to us is they're going to manage it themselves or do a year, learn the ropes as such, sort of piggyback off of our, our knowledge as a lettings agent. And then after a year, potentially you know downsize the the service from fully managed to rent and collect or, or even go completely solo um just touching on this point uh, we don't want to scare the hell out of people on this podcast by going solo 
but let's just be open and honest of what the differences are by having a letting agent working on your behalf to doing this completely independently down to the point of it is tenant find only and then the lettings agent just washes their hands of it and passes it over to the landlord so the big differences might from kind of scratch if you like tenants moved in you're a landlord on your own what happens next or what should happen next at that point for that landlord well, the landlord should be putting a whole load of dates in his diary or her diary for checking the property, checking smoke alarms, checking expiries, checking carbon monoxide detectors, renewing certificates, renewing their insurance. I think there's something like 168 laws at the last count. Don't quote me on that. Um, that the landlord has to comply with. And absolutely, you can do it for yourself. But be aware of all of those things so if you're going to do if you are going to do it for yourself join a landlord association so join an association that will keep you up to date with changes because it's all fine knowing everything on day one but on day two things can change the government that we've got might still have next week not sure um have been massive on changing legislation for landlords for the letting industry so things can change at the drop of a hat and letting agents don't even get told about it so we're all part of an association called Arla Property Mark um, and we also take additional compliance help from a business called Goodlord who are in business but you would have to join a UK landlord association group otherwise to be honest there's absolutely no way you can keep abreast of the news by just hoping to hear about it on the grapevine the amount of people I speak to daily over the past 12 months where they're not aware of changes that have come in already. So there's so many people illegally renting their properties that may become issues later down the line if they want to serve notice um, and get the property back. So um, those people definitely need to, to get involved with the association because there's so many changes throughout the year and there's a lot more coming up, like Mike said. So stab in the dark, what do we think the amount of landlords that are you know totally independent completely managing their own properties that are out there tens of thousands in the uk however many there are i have no idea um but what percentage of those do you think are legitimately compliant if we were stabbing in the dark i don't know if there's been a report or a blog you know that we can pull from over the last 12 months but what do you reckon and, and maybe it's no fault of their own well, it is fault of their own, but maybe they don't realise. Yeah, it depends like... whether you can claim ignorance. <laughs> pleading, pleading ignorance isn't going to work in a court. So, no, no. Um, and I think it is out of ignorance rather than on purpose that yeah. someone's not compliant. No one tries. Well, I say no one. Very few people try not to be compliant and 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 be on the wrong side of the law. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't make sense to do that. But God, I don't know. Fifty percent. As high as no that. idea uh, high? no no numbers but i reckon there must be 50 percent of landlords who just haven't done their electricity certificate or their epcs expired or something dull like that yeah which can cause them problems later on down the line i reckon it's slightly less i reckon it's 70 30 there's a lot of landlords i've spoken to that haven't done them and then obviously i've informed them they've, they've got them into pl place but I think there's a majority of them that are doing it themselves are educated on that but there's the few that are maybe first-time landlords or, or forced landlords where 
they wasn't aware and they thought their agent would inform them under the letter only service and they haven't done. Um, so I would say 70, 30 myself. I would imagine it will have a big swing depending on what region of the country you're in as well. Definitely. Just, just, just because of how things are and the networks and well, the, the part, communities. Of the part of the industry you're in, if you're talking about r- room shares or house yeah. shares, or if you're talking about professional lettings, I think we'd definitely swing it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that probably will come down to it and, and how, how much time that landlord's got to actually do the self-education that you spoke about. And I think, for me, the, the fear factor on it is I remember when EPC regulations really sort of came in and changed. And that was a big part of it. I felt that a lot of um, landlords that were managing their own properties fully, you know, finances and deposits and everything, the amount of those landlords that came to find a tenant again, that I know a lot of the lettings agents in the business I was working to that were going to, and the, just the EPC rating was just not up to standard. And it had been let for 12 months in that way you know totally uncompliant that makes me think that is probably it is a significant number 30 percent is scary 50 percent is really scary and yeah just for those those little changes in that legislation you know one little bit of legislation comes in if you don't know or you miss that email or you miss that news bulletin or you haven't got a lettings agent to remind you or make it compliant then yeah you could be you could be in trouble you could do it as a profession very well though as well I reckon give it a year with the renters reform that they're going to put through Parliament no later than March next year. One of the things on there originally was to have um, a landlord register, but that's been reworded now. So it's going to be a landlord portal, essentially, where you will log individual properties, not landlords, individual properties. And I think once that comes into effect, or if it comes into effect, should I say, that would be a big decider on how many people are fully compliant because it's a way of them seeing EPCs up to date, EICRs up to date, people are registered with the ICO. So all these things are all going to be merged into one and you'll be able to get better stats. It might actually be worse than 50%, time will tell. Yeah, we will find out. One thing that often happens, again, when we talk about the trends is a lot of the uh, new investors that we speak to, they say, yeah, we'll do the year. The year comes up and they say, right, I'm ready now. I'm going to go and do my own thing. Then they end up not doing it. And they end up not doing it because of the conversations that are normally had at that point where they realize, actually, this is more often than not more work than I want, or I don't have the contacts. And we've had a couple of those in in recent weeks, haven't we, Mike, where, you know, we've sourced properties for landlords, we've let them and we've kind of said, right, cool, you know, that that is what it is. It's the nature of, of the industry. If you want to go and do your own thing, brilliant. And then it might be that they're looking for I don't know, a gas cert or something along those lines. And they say, okay, I've got a quote for X. And you come back and say, well, you're probably paying 25 quid more than you need to at that point. And then they typically go, oh, actually, maybe there is value in this. And that's quite a common thing that happens, I find. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the minute you have to go out and try and find something at the moment in 2022, finding a decent contractor has got really, really hard. Yeah. Even as an agent, it has. Yeah. But we try and maintain those relationships with people because we're a bit, we're a bulk buyer effectively. Yeah. So, so those engineers are sticking with us because we can give them two, three, four gas jobs a week, not just one a year. So they're more likely to work, to want to work for us at a reasonable price than they are for, for Joe blogs. Unfortunately, that's yeah. just the way the world is. And that can make it for the, if the agent does it right, if the lettings agent does it right, 
it can make it really, really slick and smooth for everyone involved. And that's the key thing. It's it's good for the letting agent. It's good for the tradesman, woman. It's good for the landlord lady. And it's good for the tenant because they get the speed of operation and they get the standard of home that they deserve if it's done right. It's just a shame that in our industry, the reputation it has is, is that it's not always done right or for the right reasons. And that's a big part of the reason why we felt doing these two part podcasts will hopefully give people some real peace of mind to what's going on, knowing what they maybe didn't know before and knowing the questions to ask with landlords. Is there any other kind of legal points or any other points that, that you guys think we should throw into the pot as we, um, as we sort of draw this one to the close, chaps? Yeah, I think if we just refer back to what Tristan said, there's a lot due to drop in the next six to 12 months with the renters reform bill. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. We don't know exactly when it's going to happen with the change of government, but the signposts are there that Mm. more checks will have to happen. There'll be more legislation and it's likely to be higher regulated by a central government built force so if you don't have an uh, a certificate at the moment you're just at risk if something happens but in the future if there is more of a registration process if you don't have it and it expires you're more likely to get a fine through the post like you would do with your car tax or your television license or something like that for, for me it's not fee related i think one of the things well two things i'll point out really the first one is sole agency contracts something we haven't really touched on and it goes back to last week's podcast where we mentioned about terms what to look out for and one thing we didn't cover was sole agency and multiple agency now in today's market is there any need for a sole agency agreement you're signing up because you've built a relationship with that person you feel that you can trust them you like you said they've got the right management department behind them but why would you sign up for 18 weeks in a sole agency if that agent can't perform and let that property for you provide the service you want why do you need to lock them in for that period of time i don't agree with it i don't know are what, you saying your are sole agency is an outdated because yeah. of the market we're in we you know we were talking we were looking at the right move statistics that the report came through for the southeast and what we could see is that year on year on average across the uk we were seeing 12 12 to 15 percent growth in rents in the last quarter in the southeast it was up five percent so in three months five percent more as an average listing rent what we're saying is actually finding a tenant at the moment is pretty easy. Finding the right tenant comes down to the letting agent, some yeah. common sense, some due diligence, some checking, correct referencing, and just common sense and experience. That's really vital to say. But actually, when you're on the valuation and you decide to instruct an estate agent, by doing multi-agency is what, like a lottery in reality, isn't it? Yeah, I think the whole sole or multi-agent thing is a total red herring in lettings and it comes back to what you said ian you're not appointing someone to let your property you're appointing someone to manage the property so using a sole agency agreement effectively locks you into using that company so that's wrong using a multi-agency agreement is probably worse in my opinion putting three agents up against each other just puts them in a foot race to find you the first tenant that comes along what you need to be doing is building a relationship with your estate agent, your letting agent saying, right, I'm appointing you to manage my property. That's not just finding a tenant and getting it ready. That's managing it for the next 10, 15, 20 years. So 
the whole terms of the agreement, 14 weeks, this and multi-agent, that for me is a total red herring and you shouldn't be looking at it in any way, shape or form. You're finding a managing agent. And as you quite rightly said, interviewing about the property manager, the salesperson on the front line, absolute, you'll see them for a week. Yeah. And then you'll never see them again. So they just step them to the side. Who are your property managers? Who will be my property management manager? What will they be about? So gents, that is part two. We might have to do part three at some point, but in this particular one, I just think landlords are going to get a really good understanding of how property management works now. The concerns about upselling and what to look out for, what questions to ask. And for me, the summary of this particular podcast is when you are getting valuations and you're getting agent letting agents out to see you about managing and renting your property interview them it's an interview process make sure you pick the right lettings agent go sole agency don't leave it to chance pick one you trust pick one that you've done your due diligence on you mentioned in part one about googling them potentially as well mike just to get a rough idea on what's going on there and it all comes down to trust service and feeling comfortable that you've interviewed correctly the right person and if anyone's got questions, please, please, please reach out, ask us afterwards, and we'd be happy to help you out. I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify. I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital gains yeah. tax, and obviously your stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast, and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.